0: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping, midwayusa.com. Is hunting at 600 yards really hunting? Or hope to find out on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcasts. Hi, podcast fans, Ron Spomer back at you with some good questions from our viewers and readers. The team has put them together for me once again, and they tell me that one of them is going to involve 600-yard hunting, or is it shooting? <laughs> well, we're going to find out exactly what's going on here. This is from Mountain Militia, and Mountain Militia asks, There are these people who say shooting an animal at 600 yards isn't hunting. If you have the skills and the equipment, why not? Philosophical question here. Mountain militia, this is going to be uh, multiple answers, not multiple choice, but multiple answers depending on who is answering it. Because for some people, shooting an animal at 600 yards is hunting. For others, shooting an animal at 50 yards isn't hunting. Bow hunters will tell you the only real hunters are bow hunters, and only real bow hunters shoot targets at, well, shoot animals at no more than 40 yards away. Um, but then some other bow hunters will say, well, the only true hunter is a bow hunter who made his own bow, made his own arrows, made his own broadheads by chipping rocks, and only shoots deer that are inside of 25 yards. And it goes forever like this. But there are some real physical limitations on some of this stuff that I think we can use to make up our own minds on it. So 600 yards, are you a real hunter? I don't know, was Jack O'Connor a real hunter? Was Elmer Keith a real hunter? Was your Uncle Jim a real hunter? Or anyone else who has shot an animal that far away? Or are they all some sort of unethical, irresponsible slobs? (laughs) Obviously, this is not black and white. There are individuals who train and practice and can shoot beautifully and reliably and consistency consistently at 600 yards. There are others who can't hit their butt with both hands at 150 yards. <laughs> it's just the way it works. So what determines ethical or not comes down to what knowing what your limitations are and hunting within those limitations. Certainly hunting is hunting whether you take your shot at 2 yards or 600 yards. You're still hunting. You're looking for the animal. You've got to get out there and find him. I would say, is driving down the road, spotting an animal, stepping out of the truck, sitting at the side of the road and shooting it, hunting or cruising? Good question. We get to ask these questions of ourselves and make up our minds on what we think is legitimate hunting and what is not. Because there are no hard and fast absolute rules the way there are in, say, a basketball game or a baseball game or even tennis or golf. All these sports have limitations, and that's part of the reason why hunting is known as sport hunting. It's not because we're making sport of the animals and just going out for a frivolous pursuit. It's because we've placed ethical limits on our behavior, what we can and cannot legally do. So yes, we do have some fields of play outlines as provided by fish and game agencies. Season dates, bag limits, cartridges that you can and can't use, um, magazine limits on your cartridges, all sorts of things that we have established as the rules of our game. They vary somewhat state to state, but that's okay. And they vary family to family and individual to individual i've been in some hunting camps where they had certain rules like you can't shoot does no matter that the season is open and you have a tag for a doe and fish and game biologists say that it's important to shoot does because we have an overpopulation if this particular hunting club said no does those are the rules (laughs) so no does now 600 yards Here's where the ethical questions come in on something that's that far away, and it's bullet flight time. How long does it take the bullet to get there? Even if you are an absolute perfect shot who can hit a dime every time at 600 yards, even after you've just ran up a mountain or run up a mountain, to be grammatically correct, and you're breathing heavily, you just are so skillful that you can stand on your hind legs, throw your rifle up, and hit that target every time almost as if you were a Hollywood star in a movie. (laughs) Of course, in real life, that stuff never happens. But let's just say that's going to happen. You still have an ethical dilemma here because of the bullet's time of flight. How long does it take the bullet to get from I'm pulling the trigger to the target? There's a little bit of time between your brain saying I'm pulling the trigger and you actually pulling the trigger. There's a little bit of time from pulling the trigger to the firing pin traveling down the length of the of the firing pin traveling to the primer to strike it to ignite the powder. There's a little bit of time involved in the powder turning in from a solid into a gas to create pressure to drive the bullet down the barrel. All of this stuff happens in microseconds, but they add up then the biggest time is the bullet in flight. And 600 yards, depending on your launch velocity and the ballistics efficiency of your bullet, could be a half second or maybe as much as three quarters of a second. What can that animal do during that one half second to a one second time lapse between your brain saying, go, and the bullet getting there? It could duck. It could move its head. It could turn around. It could take a step forward. Any number of Simple moves very quickly could result in a poor hit or a miss. Now, a miss, big deal. That's on you, no no fault. But if you hit the animal in a bad place, you've got a wounding loss situation on your hands. There's where the problem comes in for a lot of us who think we shouldn't be shooting that far. And I am not blameless here. This is not white snow you see covering me because (laughs) I have tried some long shots. And as a young man, I occasionally try a stupid shot, like a 535 yard shot when I didn't know the distance. I merely guessed at it. But those are the kinds of things young people will do. And that's one of the problems that we have with all of this sales pitch of long range rifles and scopes and bullets and everything else. It's just too easy to sell that stuff to a gullible person or an enthusiastic person who wants to do that sort of thing and goes off shall we say, half-cocked? Because, yes, you can buy the equipment that will do that, but do you then take the time, your responsibility, to learn how to use it that well? 600-yard shot to a lot of long-range shooters is nothing, but to someone just starting out, it's a big deal. And if the wind's blowing a little bit, and you don't know exactly how much and from which direction... It's a really big deal that can blow your, blow your bullet easily off target and have another wounding loss. So, those are the concerns. So, it's not so much that a 600 yard shot isn't hunting, it's that it isn't ethical, responsible shooting at the game that you have hunted. Now, some can make an argument that it's not really hunting because that's so far away the animal probably can't detect you with its senses. Can't hear you, smell you, see you. How does it know you're there? So, it's not afraid of you. On the other hand, it might, I mean, I have been out pronghorn hunting when, when I look at them, they're already looking at me and they're 600 yards away, (laughs) but you know, it's a valid argument. And once again, we each have to make up our own mind on what, we think is ethical and what we think is not. There's just no way that you can establish a law saying, thou shalt not take a shot at anything farther than 200 yards or 300 or 600. There's just no policing that sort of thing. It's self-policing. And that's one of the important responsibilities as a hunter that we all share. If we want to defend what we do in the eyes of the general public, we have to take it seriously and do it very well. And part of that internal consultation that we have is going to involve this sort of thing. Are we really good enough to take these shots, whether it's 50 yards or 500 or 600? So it becomes a very personal issue. And that's one of the things that I think Aldo Leopold wrote this about hunters. He said, we, we don't have a jury. We don't have a fan base in the stadium watching us. We don't have umpires right there to say foul. you five-yard penalty, you're out of the game, or anything like that. It's all up to us. So I think what we want to take away from this little discussion with Mountain Militia here is that, just that, just that, do think hard and deeply about your responsibilities as a hunter, both to the animal that you're hunting, to your fellow hunters and your hunting heritage, and how the general public views hunting, and yourself, and can you live with it. All of those things come into play, and I, I think you'll find the answer yourself when you consider that. All right, good, good, thoughtful question there, Mountain Militia. This is from Peter. I Oh, Peter is a Patreon member, so I've already seen this one. When I get uh, questions from our Patreon members, I hop right to them. So I've already answered him, and by golly, the team has put down the question and the answer so I could read it to you. Peter asks, I have an old Ruger M77 with a tang safety. Ooh, I used to have one of those. Those were great. Got mine in 1976, 270 Winchester. Would put them all right there, guys. Five shots inside of a quarter. I loved it. It has a nice wood stock. Now we're getting back to Peter's. I'm sorry I interrupted the other Peter. It has a nice wood stock, and I'd like to extend the length of pull and have it still look classy. That's one of the things about the M77 Ruger. It was a classy, traditional stock line. Beautiful. Beautiful. I don't like the look of just sliding a limb saver over the end of a classic red Ruger recoil pad. I need to extend about an inch, maybe a little more, and I have the scope moved all the way forward, and I'm still getting a little scope bite, so I do need a longer length of pull. Any ideas on how to adjust the length of pull on a rifle and keep it looking classy? Yes, get a custom stock. (laughs) i know that's not what you wanted to hear you already knew that but that is absolutely the best way just to have a full custom stock made i have never found a way to add a chunk of wood behind uh, an existing stock especially not an inch long man you must be tall and want to have one heck of a length of pull to need an inch because usually a quarter inch is a big adjustment you might want to proceed slowly on this one peter um oh i'm not reading my answer i'm just Taking it off the top of my head. Well, that's okay. Top of the head's going to work. So I would recommend that Peter take uh, small slices of, of a stock building material and see how well that fits until he gets his perfect length of pull. Maybe he does need a complete inch, but man, that is a lot. So how you do that? You can put spacers in. And we've all seen rifles with spacers at the butt between the pad and the wood. And back in the 60s, they got into this white line spacer craze, which was... Ugh, Not too aesthetically pleasing, but it was a thing. But the black spacers are pretty conspicuous. A lot of guys will use those. But you can also go to a thicker pad. You know, there are a lot of recoil pads on the market, and some of them are a quarter inch thick, some a half inch, some an inch, some even a little bit longer than an inch. So you could add entire inch just on the pad. But, of course, the rifle is already coming with probably a quarter to a half inch pad, so you don't get a complete inch off of it. Another option, maybe I'm gonna have to read this and see what I said. All right, I actually did some research and I came up with a pad. Limb Saver's Nitro Grind to Fit Pad is one and one half inches thick. Packmeyer's Decelerator Trap Pad looks to be about an inch thick too. So snoop around and you might score. You might also look for a scope with extra extra eye relief. So it might not be a length of pull issue so much as the scope. Eye relief needs to be longer. And uh, yeah, you can get a mounted forward style and I'm not real crazy about the, that one where it's a scout style where you've got a good uh, man, probably 18 inches, then you start to lose your uh, field of view. So I'm not crazy about that. But you can find scopes that have an eye relief of three inches and some that are four and a half, maybe that would be enough. So, try that. I also asked Peter if he pushed his face forward on on the stock a lot. There are guys that do. We call it creeping the, the stock or the comb. You raise your rifle and then you slide your face forward like this. You don't have to do that. A lot of people just instinctively do, but you can train yourself to shoot heads up style. It's a popular shotgunning style that the Brits have used for a long time, and I like it for rifles too. Rather than moving your head down to the comb, you move the rifle into your shoulder pocket and high up to hit your cheek so that it hits your eye and that way you're not moving around a lot you just throw it up and there it is looking right down the scope or the open sights if you're using those so you might want to try a more heads up style without leaning it forward and that might take care of your scope bite problem and you can also raise the comb you may have to on that stock if you're keeping your head up the comb needs to come up higher so you can see right down your your uh Your scope. And you can check that with some aftermarket little tie on or wrap on comb risers. You can put little foam inserts underneath them and raise them higher and higher until you get that good eye alignment. That might fix it for you too. Um, Let's see. And then I went back to asking them if you really needed that much length of pull. So um, that's about all I came up with. Now, if you're looking for replacement stocks, of course, you can. Keep the original stock so you've still got your original rifle. Just screw it off, set it in the corner. I've got a lot of those sitting around. And then try the replacement stock. But if you really want a good-looking piece of wood, you're going to have to get that replacement stock with good-looking wood. Now, there are a number of synthetic stock replacements where you just drop it in, screw it down, and it's ready to go. But it's synthetic, and if you want walnut, you'll have to look for that. Now, one that I do know of right now, because I've been working with him, is Boyd's, Mitchell, South Dakota. And Boyd's was started by a gentleman at about my age and just lived a couple towns over from where I grew up. So we probably saw each other at high school football games. Um, But he's a he is a straight shooter, and I really enjoy visiting with him. And he makes some really good laminated wood stocks. But they're also now making these drop-in stocks out of walnut. You can get fairly plain walnut or a little bit fancier grades. And I think they're getting up into some pretty nice figure in their walnut stocks for not all that much money. If I remember right, I checked the website once, and it was looking like around four to $500 for a pretty nicely figured walnut stock. So you might want to check that one out. All right, that was a good question about rifle stocks and links and all kinds of good stuff. Did you know for that just $5 a month, you can get access to all of my videos, including the ones that are not on commercial channels like this, at RSOTV? And it's just $5 a month? (laughs) Hey, if you'd like to see them at your leisure join up, click the link below. And if you join RSO TV, you also get access to the RSO TV store where you can buy all of our goods at 15% off all the time. I sure love to have you. Now let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming. All right. What else do we have here? Seen that? No, that's pretty obscure. I don't think very many of us are interested in English big bore rifles and express sights. We might save that for another time. Let's see what else we have here. Hmm, this looks interesting, guys. Acceptable accuracy is what this gentleman's asking about bo bo asks i have a simple question but one that bothers me every time that subject comes up why is it that certain hunting ammunition or hunting rifles have an acceptable accuracy that many hunters just accept as that's good enough two minutes of angle or something and nobody bats an eye at that but when a target rifle or target ammunition is anything greater than one moa everyone's upset This irks me as hunting is all about precise bullet placement, and ethical hunting of wildlife and target shooting is purely for the fun and sport of owning firearms. Is this possibly due to the contrast of the old-school crowd of hunting and the newer technical generation of ELB shooting? I'd love to hear your opinion on this on a video or a podcast. Well, bingo, here it is. (laughs) So it got a little confusing there at the, at the end, but I think basically you're asking, why do some people say, eh, it's good enough for hunting? And uh, and they get all worked up about target shooting. Well, even though target shooting might just be a fun game, hit or miss, it's serious business for target shooters. I mean, they're out to win. It's the same as golfing or any other game. You're there to win. You don't want to sort of come close to sinking the ball in the, a little hole out there. <laughs> you want to win it. So the target shooters are looking to shoot new world's records or win the contest and maybe there's some prize money involved or a trophy so of course they are concerned about winning and they're shooting at much tinier targets whereas hunting why is it ah good enough generally it's good enough because that particular minute of angle two inches two animal is a little bit far but that's good enough to hit your target at hunting distances, like two MOA at 100 yards means you're going to keep your bullets inside of a two inch circle. Well, the target you're shooting at the chest of a deer is more like a 10 inch circle, maybe even 12 of vital zone tissue. So two inches anywhere in there is good enough. And that's why we say that. But these days, most of us say uh, one MOA That's what you want for a hunting rifle. But the long range shooters, they're going to want a half MOA or even a quarter MOA. So I think you're probably seeing more of that than I am. I don't hear too many people anymore saying, eh, good enough. Back in the day, though, (laughs) we called it five bucket MOA. (laughs) Maybe it would be BOA, bucket. Five buckets of accuracy. The idea was you would get the rifle out of the closet where most of them were stored because it was the day before deer season. Come on, Billy. We got to get out there and check our rifles. So you'd grab the rifle out of the closet, blow the dust off of it, find the shells in the drawer somewhere, head on out, stick a five-gallon bucket out there 100 yards, take a shot at it, usually offhand, sometimes sitting. Every once in a while, we'd lean over the hood of the truck. (laughs) And if you hit the bucket, you weren't ready to go deer hunting. (laughs) It was pretty pathetic. We are a lot a lot more involved these days and a lot more precise and technical. And that's a good thing, a very good thing. And that's what I think most guys now, they're going out and they're shooting quite a bit. And they want that rifle to shoot MOA if they can get it there. In fact, I often have to talk guys into settling for 1.5. I'll say, guys, I wouldn't be too upset with this particular rifle and ammo you're shooting because it's putting everything in an inch and a half circle at 100 yards. That means at 300 yards, you just take three times that. You're still inside of what, four-inch circle, four and a half? What's the problem? You're not shooting farther than that, are you? And most of them aren't. They're probably shooting at 100 yards. So that kind of a accuracy is good enough for hunting a big animal. Now, it's not going to work to, let's say, shoot the eye out of a squirrel for supper. There you want real precision. So I think that's pretty much the answer, Bo. People get uh, really worked up about target accuracy because they're trying to win something. And we hunters, we're just trying to hit that vital zone, which is a pretty big target. But I agree with you. Precision placement of your bullet for hunting is job one. So you're right on a ball for that one. You really do need to be concerned about that. Here's one from Dan. Dan says, the first time I went hunting with my dad, I used his uncle's 250 Savage. I want to say it was around 300... feet per second? I think you meant 3,000. 3,000 feet per second out of the barrel, though I can't remember the bullet weight. What I would love to know is why it isn't more popular. Is it because the 243 is just as or more popular? Hey, you're on to something here, Dan. This takes us way back to 1915. This predates World War One. And in 1915, they came out with the 250-3000 Savage. And the cartridge was designed by, um, oh, my mind went blank right now. But he but he designed it for Savage. Charles, Charles, oh, come on, it's Bomer. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This happens every once in a while. Just the synapses don't fire right. I might come up with it sometime and I'll spit it out. But Newton, Charles Newton. See, you wait long enough. The old hard drive kicks one out. (laughs) And he uh, sold it to Savage and they called it the 253,000 Savage. Now, why did they put 3,000 back there? Because it went 3,000 feet per second. They wanted to set the record for velocity at the muzzle. And that was it, 3,000 feet per second. But to do it, they had to use an 87 grain bullet. Now, Newton wanted to use a 100 grain bullet because he thought that was a much more effective bullet for deer hunting. But it wouldn't hit the three thousand. So they, for marketing purposes, eighty-seven grain bullet, three thousand feet per second. You guys need buy this one, and boy, people did. They just thought this thing was great. So. They then offered it with 100-grain bullets, and it was slower, maybe 2,800 feet per second, and then 117-grain bullets for better penetration and stuff. But it became an extremely popular deer hunting bullet because it was light recoiling, plenty fast enough. Um, You did have those bullet weight options. People would use them on Black Bear Back East as well. And it was really rolling until the 50s when the two forty three Winchester came out. Now, this is a long time span. And in between there, they came out with other 25s, like the 25-06 and the 257 Roberts. That actually came out close to the same time as, well, maybe it was in the 30s when that one came out. A little more horsepower, with a little bigger cartridge there, and then the 25-06. That was a wildcat, the 25 Varmature for a long time, I think they called it. And uh, nobody picked it up as a factory round until 1969, I think, is when Remington came out with it. Called the 25-06 Remington. But the Wildcatters had been shooting and loading that one for a long, long time. And I think that one started up around the 1920s. But um, that was the champion for speed until Weatherby came out with the 257 Weatherby, shooting the same 25-caliber bullets, 0.257. And that one, of course, was the champ, and I think still is. I can't think of a 25 that goes faster than that. That's probably. 200 feet 300 feet per second faster than the 25-06 odd and that's probably 200 feet faster than the 257 Roberts and the 250 so see the old 250 starting to fall way back in the pack and uh, I think that's the reason why it fell out of favor because the the 20th century was all about velocity. Everybody wanted to go faster. So, what happened with the 243, when that came out, it was doing about the same thing as this 25, the 250, but a little bit faster. And it had a higher BC bullet, not that we talked about BC back in those days, but it would just shot a little bit flatter. And a lot of folks thought it was a better compromise for a varmint bullet, cartridge, and deer. It was a hundred grain bullet, you could hunt deer with it, no problem. But you went down to the eighty grain bullet or even a seventy grain bullet, and it was sleek and fast, and it was great for reaching way out there for rock chucks, wood chucks, foxes raiding the henhells, coyotes and all that stuff. And that was really popular back then. So that one and the six millimeter Remington at the time it was called the two forty-four Remington. Those two sort of took over from the two fifty. And of course, the 25-06 and the 257 Weatherby also knocked it down a peg. But it is a cool little cartridge and worth having, not that anyone chambers for it anymore. It's going to eventually go away. But if you like to hand load and you have a custom barrel made, it'd be a fun one to play around with because it is such light recoil. It's just a Sweet little cartridge, worth having. I can see why you fell in love with there on your hunt there. It's just a lot of fun, isn't it? But it really doesn't do anything that two hundred forty three Winchester doesn't do. All right, quick one. Here's a quick one from D. He asks, Do you know the difference between an interlock bullet and an Acubon bullet? Yes, those are both from Hornady, excellent bullets. I've used them both, especially the interlock, used that for a year. The interlock bullet's jacket has a little rim around the inside of it. It doesn't go all the way through transversely, but it's just a little rim that goes into the lead to help hold it in. So it's a little bit more of a controlled expansion bullet, but yeah, they can break apart and the lead can come out. The AcuBond bullet is pretty much the same, but instead of having that little rim around there, they molecularly bond the jacket to the lead core, like all bonded bullets. That one tends to stay in one piece a little bit better. They're both great and effective deer bullets, so I can highly recommend them. They're usually pretty darn accurate too. And I think that's the time we have for questions today, folks. I do want to thank you for... um, asking you the questions and for listening to the answers and let me know if I got anything wrong because I do want to get this stuff right and you as you heard me were trying to remember Newton's name I don't always get it right <laughs> thanks for listening until next time this is Ron Swomer, an honest shoot straight